Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeological Podcast, episode 252. And today I am your host, Andrew Kinkella, and joining me are Heather from California. Hi, everyone. And Bill from currently, is it Denmark at the moment, Bill? Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually in Aarhus, Denmark. It's like five o'clock at night. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. That's that's cool, man. What are you there for? Yeah, just a bunch of professor stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Checking out some different heritage sites and doing some research while I'm over here. And the secret professor meeting that's over there, too. Right. Yeah, no joke. Just like in um, several of the episodes of Austin Powers, there's, you know, a hidden base. There's a volcano that no one knew about in Denmark that like underneath that is that all the evil professors are all trying to figure out how we're going to rule the world. I well, knew that's, it. that's not a complete you don't have a complete collection because Andrew's not there. <laughs> well, well, also, the other the problem is I don't, professors. <laughs> I don't think there's evil professors here in Denmark either. <laughs> no, they they uh, they leave me out. I'm the one that's left out in case there's a disaster there. There can be one evil <laughs> professor left. So they leave oh, me. Oh, that makes sense. sense. <laughs> yeah. That makes All right. sense. Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so for our topic today, this is Heather. And Heather will be discussing the peer review process, specifically in CRM. And I'm really interested to talk about this because I think while Bill and I have lots of experience in the peer review side of academia. I know that I personally have none in the CRM side because, you know, I would be monitoring or whatever in my CRM gigs and I never had that higher end experience. So Heather, if you could just uh, give us the background on what we're talking about and we'll go from there. Sure. You know, it's been a topic in the back of my head for a while, but just recently had an experience with one of my colleagues at the company that I work, that a certain company did a peer review of a report. And it was clear that the peer review was almost retribution for a previous peer review that they had done on that other company. (laughs) And it was ugly. It was just not nice. I actually, I don't like doing peer reviews. I Mm -hmm. really don't. It's but, but sometimes in my, in my head, well, you know, we have agencies that really trust us or, or me and want us to be the ones that do the peer review. And in a way, I think about it and like, you know, maybe it's better for me to do it than somebody who like the one, you know, who would create a peer review like the one that we just that I just read this week. And yeah. 
So I, I thought, you know what? Hey, at least I'm going to do it with respect. And I, in, in fact, my peer review, I have like a boilerplate language that I put in the very beginning that talks about how this is intended to only help and is te- intended as a friendly, respectful, not even a critique, but but a coaching in, in a way right. of a colleague and and their work. And so just to be clear, what the, the peer review process in CRM is different because it has a different purpose. And the main thing is, is that it's to cover the agency and make sure that, you know, that the report actually does what it's supposed to do. It's looking at what it's supposed to do and that it's from a regulatory side of things. It is ensuring compliance to whatever the regulatory laws are that that the project itself is that are applicable to the project. So, you know, and maybe this is specific to California because we have agencies that we work with, uh, cities, counties, that don't have their own archaeologists on staff. And so they have no idea what they're looking at when they're reading a report. They don't know if it's correct. And tribes have become more and more involved in, you know, looking at the reports when when a, a project is subject to uh, tribal consultation through AB 52 or SB 18, which have to do with California law, the, the tribes are, you know, they ask for the report. They want to know what kind of invest, you know, what kind of study has been done so far and what has been unearthed because, uh, through that study. So it's important to agencies that they make sure that, that the report is correct. And so it, 15 years ago, I don't think it was as common. It's a lot more common now. So you're seeing peer reviews pop up more and more. And I'm being asked to do them more and more, and more of our reports are being peer-reviewed, which really slows down the process. But I wanted to talk in, in this podcast about how I think in some ways peer reviews are, are good, but in some ways they've been weaponized and they're, they're starting to kind of fall away from what, what their true intended purpose should be. Right. So, Bill, I see you have a question on that. Yeah, I, you know, I have questions about this because it seems like it's completely foreign to me since when I was doing cultural resources, I never one time met an agency that ever felt like they weren't, Mm -hmm. they weren't able to evaluate, you know, anything. And as someone who was doing historical archaeology in Arizona, this would always be, you know, a problem when someone who did a PhD on, you know, archaic pre-Mississippian archaeology in Kansas was the, you know, whatever uh, Air Force base archaeologist. And, they and you know, they had a million questions and comments on the way I evaluated roads or, you know, how, how someone does evaluate a farmstead in Arizona. Like, it just seemed like they, they completely didn't, they were beyond their ability, yet I never heard of them saying, well, perhaps we should kick this out to another uh, company and have someone who's qualified look at what you've already done. Uh, so this whole thing is is totally new to me. And I'm just wondering wh- how come this process came about? I mean, I've heard articles where they say that there should be a peer review process for CRM reports. Mm-hmm. But of course, I've never seen companies say, yeah, I would love to volunteer and read a 280 page report from someone else. Like, how, <laughs> how, how has this become a thing? Well, it's not a volunteer. For one thing. Oh, okay. It's paid. The agencies hire another archaeologist. And of course, they charge the applicant for that service. You know, it's gotten even to the point where there's monitors monitoring, monitoring, uh, monitors, 
<laughs> companies monitoring yeah. monitors. How's that? Well, this is, this sounds totally um, California style because yes. the, it's the kind of place that would be like, you know what we really need? We need someone who's, you know, over the uh, Bureau of Weights and Measures. We really need someone monitoring that. So let's that, put together exactly. an ad hoc committee with like, you know, firefighters and, um, you know, construction workers and volunteers and then unemployed, un, yep. unhoused people from the local community to put together a thing to monitor this organization that's tasked with monitoring all the weights and like this totally sounds I, like California. I, th- I think it's, it, uh, I think the majority of the main reason why this is occurring is because agencies are trying to cover their butt. Basically they've become very, very adverse to, you know, actually taking, taking the main role in, in making sure that compliance is enacted properly. So the more people that they have involved where they hire on experts to make sure it's done properly, the um, more that it's uh, not their fault if it's not done right. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, Heather. You know, I'm in Bill's camp in terms of I never really heard about this right until recently. Did you notice a time when this came on? Has it only been the last two years or have you yeah, noticed it for a decade? You know. Yeah, was there like some chaotic, huge lawsuit where, you know, an agency just lost its entire budget and had to beg for more from the state because, you know, someone totally took them to task and they lost. And then after that, they were like, that's it. You know what? We're going to actually review these reports. Yeah, no, agencies are being sued. They're being sued by applicants. They're being sued by tribes. They're being sued by um, activists. So, yes, I think that is the, the main purpose behind it is is the fact that they wanted they want to avoid that and if they can show that they've done their due diligence and making sure that they have experts from every side looking to make sure that it's done properly then responsibility is off of them so right i think on. it's just been you know this influx of of litigious you know activity and that has just you know got gotten us to this point and you know now we have I think, you know, I do think it's going to start being pulled back because for a few years, especially during COVID, I saw applicants were really pushing hard to get through the process quickly. And a lot of it had to do with grants, monies that were coming in that had a uh, finite amount of time for them to actually be able to use the to to get the grant money. And so the applicants were always pushing hard to pushing back on the agencies to make sure that that the review process happened quickly. And so that made, I think, agencies maybe nervous and they started saying, okay, well, we need to make sure that this is done correctly. If you're going to push us in this direction to do this quickly, we need to make sure it's done correctly. So yeah, I think there's lots of different reasons why that has occurred and why peer reviews have started to become more, more and more popular. And the, the applicants were just willing to throw money at, at projects to get them done. And so if the agency said, okay, well, we're going to do a peer review and this is going to be, you know, your application process is going to cost more money. Fine. Whatever it takes to get it done is what the applicants are saying. Applicants meaning developers, but now, you know, those monies are starting, starting to dry up with, you know, the state of our economy. And I do think that maybe it's, start, it's going to start getting pulled back. I, I don't know how that's going to happen because I've already opened up the barn door, <laughs> so to speak. So, yeah. And then 
Heather, I, I think I stepped on your audio because, you know, I, I love the sound of my own voice so much because it's <laughs> awesome. But uh, about how long ago, like when did you first notice this? Well, I, I've always seen peer reviews, but I've seen a, an influx in peer reviews probably in the last two to three years. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of Which sense. Which coincides with COVID and right. all the money that was being uh, flushed into the system. Yeah. Are you trying to say this is about money? What? <laughs> CRM, it's always about money. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. And with that, we'll be back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. All right, we are back at the CRM Archaeological Podcast, episode 252. And we last left off on peer review in CRM. And Bill, I saw that you had something to say about that. Yeah, because we ended right on it talking about uh, how everything's about money in CRM. And also, I pretty clearly can see how this would, it could turn, you know, kind of friendly marketplace, a collegiality into, you know, just basically a, a pit fight. Because if you were a company and you're in the same county and same area and you have expertise, which basically means you do the same thing, and you're asked to do the peer review on someone else's, I mean, first of all, you could decide that you don't like them and you know make the peer review responses particularly onerous to the point where they take a long, long time, many hours to address beyond the budget that's been provided for that. But also you could just decide that uh, this is going to be the mechanism that you're going to use to monkey wrench like everybody in the whole area so that they have mm-hmm. to raise their rates, right? Now, of course, that's going to come back to you. And that's where I mean the severe pit fight aspect that ends up happening when you do that to someone else and they try to sandbag you with comments. And the next thing you know, it's not really peer review. It's just how can we force them to add like 180 more hours onto this or possibly even have to go out and do more field work just so that they, you know, have to spend a hundred thousand dollars, their own money that they have to make up on other projects that we're bidding against them on. Yeah. So I just, it, it seems like, Unlike peer review in academia, which I'm, you know, I'm still new to academia. Hopefully I always will be. I have no idea why peer review actually, in fact, exists whatsoever in academia since the comments that you get back are always, you know, you can totally tell that they were uh, watching the most recent, you know, version of Game of Thrones while they were reading through your thing. And they're they <laughs> like, they have no clue what research you've ever done. And, you know, yeah. they're just like tangentially like an archaeologist who's dug versus an archaeologist who's a theorist. And they were given this thing. They're paid no money by the magazine. 
the journal to do the the peer review and they're like 90 days overdue. So they're just slopping through it. And so you can pretty clearly see that. Or you can also see the people who are, you know, just absolutely indignant that you even wrote the thing you wrote. Obviously, that reviewer is going to get thrown in the trash can because they're clearly biased against your article, right? So in the case of that, that doesn't actually affect my income, right? Like the university is not going to suffer because they hated what I wrote on that. So it's not really the same as academic peer review, whereas this could turn into kind of a, you know, like a biological warfare kind of thing where, you know, you're infecting areas and then it's spreading. And then the next thing you know, everybody is just ripping each other apart on these reviews. Mm -hmm. And now no one can really get any objective opinions at all. Yeah. I think for CRM, you know, I, I understand in some ways, when it, when an agency does not you know, that the report, original report is submitted to doesn't have any idea if it's correct, and there is there are CRM companies out there that that know archaeology. They're good at archaeology, but they don't know how to evaluate impacts pursuant to the regulatory laws. And so that's that's part of the problem. Is that you know you have. You have uh, archaeologists that are not experts in regulatory, uh, don't have a good regulatory understanding, but they do know archaeology. And then you have you have regulatory analysts like first California CEQA analysts that are trying to take a report finding and create an impacts analysis within the review document, the CEQA docu- document, and they don't know anything about archaeology. So you have like three different entities coming in that know that really know what they're doing, what they're hopefully <laughs> they're, they're experts in their own field, but they have no idea how to make all of those meld together so that the product in the impact analysis is appropriate. That's where, you know, archaeologists who do have a good uh, regulatory understanding absolutely are, are, are very, very valuable in CRM and hopefully start becoming more commonplace. They're not, but hopefully they do. And so, you know, I think the peer review is, I, I actually don't think that's the purpose of the peer review. The purpose of the peer review is really to cover the agency's rear end. <laughs> that's really all it is. And you're right. There is, to me, there's a conflict of interest there because if I can make another CRM company look bad through the peer review and can deteriorate the trust of the agency of, of this person, of this, you know, entity or the company, CRM company, the archaeologist that wrote the original report, then that, you know, benefits me because then I can say I'm a better archaeologist. Therefore, I should be hired by the agency next time or the agency sometimes, you know, just to kind of muddy this up even further. The applicants don't always have a choice in which consultant they hire to do the work. Sometimes the agency controls that and the agency absolutely controls it from the, the sense of, you know, most agencies have qualified, county qualified archaeologists, city qualified archaeologists. And so, you know, I haven't really seen anyone be taken off a list like that because of a poor peer review, but it certainly can go that direction. And if people think that they can degrade you know, another archaeologist to elevate themselves. And unfortunately, people do that. And 
some of it is just it's spiteful. Um, some of it is, you know, you peer reviewed me last time, you know, now I'm going to just, you wait, you know, uh, instead of looking right. at it as an opportunity to improve as an opportunity to, to learn, you know, there, there are people that know more than you do <laughs> in general, yeah. there's always going to be somebody who knows, knows more than you do. So you yeah. should. Yeah. I'm just curious you know, as, as you talk, Heather, and it's, it's the limits of my own knowledge and understanding. When you say the agency, who, who is that? So the agency is who the report gets turned into. So you have right. agents, you have, let's say, I want to do work in the, within the city of LA. So I ha- a developer wants to you know, develop a piece of land in the city of LA. So yeah. the city of LA is the one that has to review all the, re- for this, in this case, the archaeological report, their assessment, mm-hmm. the study. They have to look at whether or not the, development is going to have an impact on the environment in general. And so sometimes that gets elevated to an actual CEQA document. Sometimes it's just from a city perspective. How is this development going to impact the environment, the city in general? And so studies are written for that purpose. Right. And so in this situation, this example of city of LA, if I'm the peer reviewer and I and I peer review like the final report, the city of LA is seeing that peer review. The city of LA many times is the one who's asked, actually asking for the peer review. Gotcha. Yes, it, yeah. it is different than the uh, the academic world. You know, it's yeah. it's uh, it, it's <laughs> ooh, there's a lot of pitfalls in this one. Uh, yeah. yeah, Bill. <laughs> well, so then, you know, my next question would be, are they getting better? Because I know that the peer review in academia doesn't make anything better. It just basically makes you clarify stuff you already said. I mean, I, in, I, I guess I'm, in books, it makes it better because someone yeah. reads all those pages and, you, you know, you do get some substantial comments. But for an article, it's like, you know, you didn't talk about my uh, advisor professor oh, right. when you mentioned roads. <laughs> so, you know, obviously yeah, you're right. a fool. And so then obviously right. all you do is just, you know, go online, download one of their multiple crummy <gasps> articles and then just spam yeah. it in there. Right. Because oh, you just yeah. want to get it published. So is that what's going on here where you're like, this wasn't very clear. And then you're like, okay, well, then now I'll just make the sentence better. Sometimes I, th- I think I'm going to go, I'm going to answer that question by, by telling you how I go about doing peer reviews. So, which of course is the best way to do it. <laughs> yes. That's tongue in cheek. Um, no. So <laughs> when I'm looking at a report, my main thing is number one, I look at this as a friendly colleague to colleague conversation through written word, where I'm trying to help my colleague make sure that the report is the best it can be. That's it. I don't go and nitpick on things that don't matter. I separate my suggestions, my critiques into two different categories. One is, does it impact the defensibility of the product of the report? Or number two, is it just a suggestion that would make it better? But if it didn't happen, it's not It's not a big deal. It's not going to the report couldn't be challenged from a regulatory side if it wasn't fixed. So yeah, those are the two ways that I look at it. And I actually categorize and write my my peer review in that way. So I'll say this is suggested or required changes, required revisions, suggested revisions. And like I was saying before, I always start my peer review to say, you know, this is done out of respect for a colleague and, you know, wanting to to help them. And it's not, 
you know, I try to make sure that it's friendly. Um, and, and I lay it out there that I respect this person and, and I'm only doing this to, you know, aside from being hired to do it, I'm doing this because out of, you know, uh, collegiality. Right. So. so Heather, you're trying to say that you, you're trying to say you act in good faith. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I, so do I too, because I've been ripped in half and it doesn't feel good. Right. And, and like I said, all I do is just evasive judo rather than actually addressing the comments because I just get pissed off. But when someone does like what Heather is talking about, then it does make it way better because then I do know that they want this to be better. And I do listen and I actually try and, and it does make a better thing at the end. Right. And it's not, it shouldn't be posturing. You yeah. know, you see these peer reviews and I think also maybe in academia, it's different because peer reviews are published as like a separate thing. Like people see these peer reviews, which hmm. even makes it uglier, right? Mm -hmm. It's just uglier to me that somebody would, now I know they don't always get seen, but sometimes they do. And yeah. it, it just makes it ugly to me. Why wouldn't you want to, you know, iron sharpens iron. We should be critiquing and trying to help each other. That's part of the scientific method, right? Right. But not if it's being used to just be spiteful. And a lot of times that's what, what you see. And, you know, it, it's, it's insecurity. I mean, it's clear when people act like that, it's because they're insecure in their own abilities. Well, I, I, no, I feel like sometimes it's more emotional, right? Because yeah. people are wedded to it. And they think that when you make a comment of something that you overlooked or something that could actually improve it because you have your own interesting ideas and your experience, they take that as like, a deficiency and an attack and that they need to respond in some sort oh, of way. And so when the emotions start to flame up, then I feel like people can't, they can't disassociate themselves from, you know, constructive statements about something that could make this much right. better. And instead they take it personal as if you're attacking them as an individual. And then that's when it starts to get into the revenge mode. What, what I'm, what I'm talking about is actually, when somebody is the peer reviewer and they're being nasty, that to me shows a, a, a insecurity in their own abilities. Like if you are the if you're the one who's reviewing and you get and you're getting nasty and you're kind of getting off topic and and trying to find things that aren't really there just for the sake of tearing somebody else down, that to me is an insecure move. And of course, when you're being peer when you're being reviewed, nobody likes to see. A critique of their work. You know, you it just, it's a, it's a natural thing. You have to kind of sit back and say, okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Let's just read this again, remove myself from the fact that I wrote it and really see, is this a fair comment? And I try to do that when I get peer reviewed. And you know what? I don't, I don't just look at this to me. I say, okay, this is another opinion this person is giving. And sometimes it's correct. And sometimes it's not. And so there are many times where I then now talk about expanding the budget. I now have to do a response to the peer review. And I say, you know, to me, if it's just something that's minor and they want it done, okay, whatever, it, it, that's fine. There's no skin off my nose to change this or that. But if it's wrong, out and out wrong, then I put a response in and I don't do it. I don't make that revision. Cool. Uh, with that, we will continue this discussion. On the flip side, you've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello and welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 252, where we are talking about peer review in CRM. And we were talking about some of the bloodbath aspects of it where, you know, people get angry and they retort and it's, you know, the little people of the world. What I would say is my experiences in peer review have actually been pretty good in the academic world. Um, I know there's always outliers, you know, meaning that there's always a handful of people who just hate you no matter what. But those I, I found that over time, actually, the publishers know who those jerks are and they they don't call them so much. So I, I do really think there's a, a place for peer review and it's been really good for me. I enjoy true constructive criticism, you know, but that's also my mentality as a as a background, some Listeners may know that like I was on a comedy team for a couple years, years ago. And if you think that constructive criticism is difficult in academia, try people yelling at you that you're not funny. (laughs) So with that in mind, we always used to say uh, after the show was over, we would critique our own show and, and we would talk amongst each other. And the line was always take the note because people would start to defend what they did, even though it sucked. You know, and it was like, no, 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 no. Take the note. And I always think about that in academic peer review. It's like when when people are are giving me notes and I get defensive, then I'm like, no, 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 no. Andrew, take the note, you know. And so I found that it's been very constructive for me and that I have had, again, jerks who hated me or whatever, but I can compartmentalize that stuff. Yeah. 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 Bill, what do you think? Yeah, no, that's not been my experience. (laughs) Well, I've been in situations where, you know, if you have three, so you have three reviewers and one person is just on fire and they can't stand it. The editor is just kind of like, well, disregard that person. Just take and pick whatever you want because they just don't like your piece. Because if two of the three think that it's good, then it's good enough to get published. And if there's problems with two or you know, all three of the three, then there's something wrong with what you've written. I've never had all three people say that, you know, whatever I've written is just not good enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, editors, though, a lot of times will be like, Ooh, you know what, Uh, that's not really going to fit in our journal. And you're shaking your head like, look at the title. I designed it to fit in the journal. Did you read the abstract? (laughs) Like you just don't want this to happen because you don't like historical archaeology or you just think this is too much history and not enough archaeology or whatever. So I've had that right. happen before where the editors just kind of kind of take it out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my question, too, about this is it, the whole thing was designed to help improve the reports because, as you mentioned before, local agencies and tribes and other folks, they, 
you know, they want to know, they want to get something that's good out of this. And so I guess my question is, is this actually helping? Mm-hmm. I mean, is this helping the general public and people who want their heritage protected? Has the peer review system really helped them? I, you know, I do think I, I can think of it just a, a couple instances just in the last year where I've done a peer review where one, it was such a poor report. And I don't know if it was because this person, this person has been doing it for a long time, but there's, there are people that have been doing work, uh, CRM work for a while in, in smaller areas where they've never been critiqued or looked at. And so nobody has actually been able to coach them along and help them improve their product. And that happens, especially when you have a small mom and pop, where you have somebody who just is doing it out of their house. And so if nobody's ever looking at their their reports, I mean, there's, I, I did one where it was a three-page report for a full, uh, there was a site there. And it, literally this person wrote a three-page report. There was no consideration of any kind of previous ground disturbance or how, you know, how the archaeological site could have been impacted, you know, would potentially be impacted by the project. There was no discussion of anything. And I thought to myself, this person has been working in the area for years. How did that, how did they, how did they think this is okay? It's because this kind of process has never, people just, the, the city said, oh, well, this is an archaeologist. They're an expert. They have the, you know, the, the baseline of what I've been told is required to be an archaeologist at this level. And so I trust that they're an expert so they know what they're doing, which would be really nice if that's what we could do <laughs> and that we right. could trust that that's the case. But it isn't, it isn't always the case. And so I do think in that case – it was helpful. I don't think the person really liked it because they've been doing it for so long. It was probably hard for them to understand why. But I was really careful in how I wrote the peer review so that they and I actually ended up talking to them over the phone. And mm. it actually ended up because I put that in my peer review. I always put an invite, please, if you have any questions yeah. at all, I'm not going to sit here and do this from this little tower you know, and drop bombs right. on you <laughs> and your career and not not be willing to, you know, to answer questions or to help. Because the idea here is to make the report better. And the idea here is for us to sharpen each other and to make each other better. So if that's the case, it, just a piece of paper is not going to do it. And to this person's credit, they did reach out and they said, okay, I want to make this better. How do I yeah. do this? I'm shocked. The person was shocked. They, they were mm-hmm. like, I can't, I've been doing this for years and nobody's ever said this to me. <laughs> and then they, I, un, you know, they understood. So I do think it was effective in that case. I do think that's a great point. I do the same thing where I'm like, please contact me because if I talk to you in person, I can sugarcoat the pill. We can kind of bro out. We can, you know, just be relaxed and be like, Hey man, this part, I would change this a little, you know, I, I right. think that's an excellent point. Exactly. I'm not here to drop bombs on you. I'm here to, I'm here to, make something, not destroy it, you know? Right. But unfortunately, I think that, you know, we've talked about this before. There's, you know, this, this discipline of archaeology can be very cannibalistic, right? <laughs> We're yeah, so it. nasty to each other. Yeah. We're so it, nasty. And that's carried over to CRM. Because there, it's we're nasty in academia, and we're also nasty in CRM. Instead of looking at each other as colleagues, we look at each other as competition. Yeah. Even if it has but, nothing to do with money. 
Yeah. But there are those who aren't. And I would include yes. the three of us on this podcast. Like, <sighs> like we, we aren't, man. You know, and there is that group. Like, it's a bummer that the cliche that Heather's talking about, which is, you know, there's truth to the cliche. But there are those of us like who actually are just friendly and do want others to succeed and are happy when yeah. others succeed, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, you know, that and I, I do feel that you're right. You're exactly on the right page there because i do think it's just kind of a couple bad actors right like Mm -hmm. i don't know about academia (laughs) i think maybe you get more (laughs) rotten and bad as you go on longer in academia so maybe that's just the thing maybe it's not just bad actors it's the structure that transforms good actors into bad actors but i i can see i can see where collaboration and stuff like that and crm could really enable a lot better work and yeah. uh, foster mm-hmm. up a great, great generation. Because the other thing too is like those same people who are saying all that stuff at one company, the minute there's a lull in the work, they're going to jump ship to the other company. And so right. that, you know, you're, you're literally like burning your bridges with the exactly. person who's going to hire you in the future. But exactly. also you're, you're showing uh, the up and coming folks that it's okay to just sit there and like firebomb Knowing that in 18 months, you're probably going to have to find a new job and like the, the only show in town, if you don't want to sell your house or, mm-hmm. you know, break your lease, you're going to have to come crawl into this place that you were just saying, oh, so-and-so's trash, blah, blah, blah. They really need to do much better on their work. I think there's huge potential for these CRM reports to actually completely surpass academic writing. I mean, mm-hmm. right now, already the way that it is. 90, 95% of all the archaeology writing in the country is being done by CRM archaeologists, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. the amount of pages and words that, uh, uh, you know, a master's trained project manager in CRM is doing is, is like much more than any kind of assistant or associate professor or anyone who's not just sitting there just cranking books because yeah. that is what people are doing at larger CRM companies. They're literally writing books multiple books yeah. a year. And it's usually people with PhDs that are the PIs and, and other folks in the com- company that are actually editing and providing an internal review on these same reports. And so with this going out to other really skilled people, we see great thoughts, uh, great ideas can be shared. And those who are really good at things can make CRM reports much better. And if you look at how fast they're being produced, and if you look at like the volume if if we had high quality CRM reports for every uh, data recovery um, uh, or large scale survey, like there's no academic press that could even in any way keep up in any way. I mean, yeah. uh, CRM yeah. itself could just could smother academic archaeology. Well, uh, it totally could if it's done That's right. A great point. Yep. Yeah. And- you know, I just just to kind of give some context there, and I know that this is not the case for all for all people that are in CRM, but I was just, you know, my company requires us to do a self-review. And so I asked our marketing department to, to pull all the projects that I had touched just so I could get some numbers in there. Cause I I, I don't know. I'm just cranking. <laughs> I'm just working. You want to guess how many projects I touched just had some kind of role in from, and I'm an archaeologist, right? So it's just from an archaeological perspective. Not, not guess, including, not in including proposals, not including proposals. Not including proposals. Only I'd say like 40 or 50. Uh, I was going to go with 42. 
Yeah, okay. Well, I guess we basically did the same yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I cheated by giving myself yeah. a 10 thing spread. Well, whatever. Okay. Just like the state of New York gives people $100,000 ranges in their salaries because they have to That's be right. transparent on like, okay, so I'll just give myself a 10. 40 to 50. Yep. Okay. 276. Holy Damn. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I. 276. <laughs> projects. So not all of those, obviously I'm writing reports. Some of them are things like peer reviews. Some of them are where I step in and I'm helping the SQL analyst come up with the impacts analysis based on somebody else's report. But a lot of them are reports. A lot of them are reports. You want to know how many things I've, I've dealt with in what, what year is it? 2022. I have a, I have a book that's coming out uh, I reviewed, I think, two or three academic press books, two or three uh, journal articles, and then I published a couple articles. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah. three. Yeah, I, di- <laughs> I did like I did less than 10 things in a year. Yeah. Well, now you know why I, I'm always talking about, you know, the amount of hours that I expend at work. It's, you know, way well, over being way over 40. Right. Otherwise, you would never be able to get all that done. And also like uh, when I was doing, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but when I was doing my CV, like you can see my productivity drop precipitously the minute I went into a PhD program, because Mm -hmm. before that, just the ones that I was solo authoring or being part of in a given year on my CV, I had like either 10 or 20 reports that I helped write. And I don't know how many reports I helped other people with the field work, right? Because it was, there's 50 weeks a year of archaeology. And so you write a lot of reports. That's why, I mean, academia will, CRM can never replace academia because of the fact that, you know, to ha- for somebody to look at and focus on one thing and one aspect and become an expert in that is so valuable to the discipline of archaeology that we can't do that. I do, you know, I, I specialize in faunal analysis and human osteology, but I can't, you know, I, I'm not able to look at, let's see, you know, subsistence patterns. I can just because of all the projects that I've done in a certain area, but I'm spread all out. And in order to get the work done, and there's this balance, you know, we need, this is salvage archaeology. I mean, we, it needs to happen. It, we need to preserve through, through CRM work, but we also are not going to be able to go to the distance that academia can. And so I think the two, and we've talked about this before, should go should work hand in hand because we need both. Totally. But yeah, I just it's people are going to say they're going to look at that number that I just gave, and they're going to say there's no way that you're doing quality work. And I'll say no, I I do really good quality work. Well, but and all, it's, it's not it's at the expense of, of my it's teamwork exactly, yeah. and it's it's and it's a, it is sometimes at the expense of my own health. <laughs> Because I work way more than I should, and, and we are, we're. It's unfortunate that, and and this is part of the reason why I want to talk about this is that we're losing people in CRM because of this nastiness that happens in things like peer review, in um, this, this competitiveness, this capitalistic kind of attitude, and it's not just. You know, we talk about and and are and complain about companies, right? That they don't respect archaeologists. How do you expect companies to respect archaeologists when we're not even respecting each other? And you know, we're tearing each other apart. Yeah. You know, the, if we want solidarity 
for a union and whatever. I, I agree. Okay. But if that's how people want to do, I agree with the concept of having solidarity amongst each other, but we need to have solidarity in, in all aspects, including something like this with peer review, where we're not just using it as a, a weapon to, yeah. against each other. And, and also when you are getting critiqued and it's fair that you don't take it personally and go and be vindictive the next time, you yeah. know, we need to, people need to, you know, get over themselves <laughs> and they need to just kind of open up their perspective and say, do I want to be a better archeologist? And does this, peer review helped me do that. And, you know, sometimes you're going to have crappy peer reviews and, and you know what, you don't have to take them. You can take them with a grain of salt. Honestly, there are comments that I look at and say, no, that's not valid. <laughs> I'm not changing yeah. it. Period. So yeah, of and, course. And it, as long as I have proof that it's not valid, then, you know, it is yeah. what it is. And the person wrote it and, you know, it just sits there. Nothing happens. Yeah. So again, you're saying we should act in good faith and be open to learning something new. <laughs> oh no, my goes on first. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you learn on your own time. Survival well, of this discipline uh, depends on it. And I know. I it, just it, it drives me nuts because we're always a hair width away from doing something really cool. You know, like yeah. like it's it's a half a step and it could be so awesome, you know, and I was, I mean, you know, hope springs eternal. Yeah. yeah. We just need to get out of our own way and get out of each other's way and, yep. you know, go through the lilies, the, the Valley of lilies hand in hand. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I, mean, I think the, the peer review <laughs> thing. So I was like, man, this sounds like a huge development. But then of course I real, you know, realized the dark side of it. And I right. was like, Oh great. Of course that's the part that's, yeah. that's happening and, and they're just basically going to get rid of it too because then you know right now they're like okay well we really need to get this right then when they find out the people they're asking to help them get it right just kind of mess it all up they're going to be like okay well you know what we're done with that and we're just going to act like you know we're in the state of arizona no, i'm just that's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is what i'm my concern is is that you know with if this turns into something other than an actual peer review and, and a coaching, an opportunity to just make the product better, it, that is what's going to happen. It's yeah. going to degrade the purpose of it. And then, and then the need for it's going to disappear or the perceived need for it is going to disappear. We obviously should have ended with the lilies a little while ago, Heather, when you were like, <laughs> we're walking through the Valley of the Lilies, because that was positive. <laughs> but on that note, we got to wrap it up. we're walking through the shadows of death, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not in death. Uh, we, made it, we all made it through the pandemic. Come on. Yeah. We were walking <laughs> we're, through lilies and now we're in, in death shadows. Uh, yeah. we're, ready for what, we're ready for what they're going to send our way next. <laughs> and so with that, I guess uh, we're signing off on, uh, on this week's podcast. So... Hopefully, uh, we'd like to hear everyone tune in next time. And with that, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. See you later. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. 
Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Become.